I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Okay, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. G'day, guys. And we're very lucky to have with us today Professor Chris Daniels, biologist from the University of South Australia, and has just become the director of Clearland Wildlife Park. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Steve. Hello, Adrian. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on, Maiden. I've got to say, I've got your book at home. That would be the first book I did, Adelaide Nature of a City. Adelaide Nature uh, of a City. It was, came out in 2005, and it was an incredible experience preparing that. It's basically an anthology uh, written by the, the great environmentalists of, of South Australia about Adelaide as a natural entity and the, the life that, that we share in our backyards, in our streets, in our parks, uh, in our rivers. And much of that is the native wildlife, but there's also a whole swag of introduced wildlife that has come with the plants. And so we developed a, a special ecosystem here, the, the urban ecosystem. And how that works and what that looks like is is incredibly interesting. And of course, it's the urban ecosystem that makes us who we are. You know, we are Adelaideans, South Australians, Australians, because of the life around us. And we've underestimated how powerful that is. I mean, even if you sit and think about the sounds of a magpie singing or a kookaburra uh, or the smell of eucalyptus leaves, those are all things that make sure you know where you are in our place in the world. And that's a very powerful, powerful unifying influence. So it's very important that we think about nature in the city context as well as in the broader uh, national and international context. It makes me think of um, Tim Lowe's book, The New Nature. Yeah. Yes, I mean, that's, that's actually an extraordinary book because that also highlights the risk of homogenising the world um, through the introduction of species and their, their colonisation. So what we don't want is the same wildlife as there is in, in England or Japan or the US. We want to keep our own native species because they give us that sense of difference. Um, but then at the same time, other things do come in. We are the, the great distributor of plants and animals around the world now. And so we have these incredible effects on ecosystems. And one thing I, I really enjoy about your book is it, it, it's more than just a field guide for what's here now. And I know you were involved in, with James Smith, the, uh, I can't remember the names of any of these books. Yeah, that's The Wildlife of Greater Adelaide was James Smith's book. And I was lucky enough to be able to support him on that. And that is a field guide to anything and everything you can find in your, your backyard here in the Mount Lofty Ranges. Every family should and school should have that book. Absolutely. It's, it's a brilliant book. And, and James is quite an extraordinary biologist who has a, an encyclopedic knowledge of everything from the smallest bug to the wombats and kangaroos that we have around us. Uh, and he worked very closely with uh, wildlife photographers across the, the state to prepare that book. And perhaps most interestingly, he, he's from the, the museum as well as running his own company, but the museum doesn't have a photographic library of all the animals in our area. Uh, it's just not a big enough museum. So the only way we could get pictures of living bugs in particular, of invertebrates, was to ask the community to bring them in and so we had bring us your bugs days where the the kids of the region could go out in their backyard collect things in their backyard and bring it into the museum where the the animals could be photographed um, and some were kept by the museum and are now on display and the kids couldn't find out information about these animals and they brought in all sorts of extraordinary things and there was a rediscovery of a moth that was thought extinct here for 30 years oh, wow. it was new species of ants all sorts of things came in 
And it shows you that power of, of experiential learning, of getting out and doing things and participating. We had thousands of people there and it was incredibly heartwarming to see, see families get behind this sort of activity. So that's large-scale citizen science right there. Yeah. That's exactly right. It was a fabulous citizen science project where we had a question, you know, what's out there? Uh, the, the community got involved. They all learned a lot through the process. We gained a lot by actually developing a photographic library for the museum and then we could give back in the form of James Smith's book. So it's just a, a win, 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 win. And I think I had the, one of the best days of my life there, being there with all of the, the kids running around with their tarantulas and their, their slaters and their worms and all sorts of things that, that they'd found. Creating and inspiring a next generation of biologists. So the thing I like about your book, a little bit different to a field guide, it, it talks about the history of what was here. So it's got a lot of um, information about quolls, talks about feather-tail gliders, mm. talks mm. about species that are no longer on the landscape. A little bit sad, mm. but it's also exciting because we're in an age of rewilding where people mm. are breeding up some of these endangered animals and we've had some success in the state so That's far. That's right. In fact, this state's one of the, the, the leading um, units, if you like, for rewilding. Uh, and there's some really exciting rewilding projects going on. Uh, you're referring, of course, to the Western Quoll as part of Operation Bounce Back in the, in the Flinders where, where quolls were reintroduced to a huge area once cats and uh, foxes were removed. Um, there has been yellow-footed rock wallabies, of course, reintroduced and other, other species of wallaby. Um, at the moment, there's plans afoot to make York Peninsula you know, fox-free and then the opportunities to reintroduce there. Tama wallabies have been reintroduced into Innes National Park. And rewilding is a, a really powerful way to think that we can actually repair some of the damage that we've done because the number of individuals of animals as well as the number of species of animals are declining. So why can't we breed them up and why can't the community be involved in breeding up animals and then reintroducing them into areas which have been made protective zones uh, free of cats and foxes in particular. It's a tremendous idea that's taking off around the world but could have enormous impact here in Australia because we know so many species are at risk to those medium-sized predators uh, more so than anywhere else because we haven't really had many predators here so they grew up, evolved, if you like, in the absence of predators. So it's a great, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, I often mm. remind people, we, we always get told we've got the worst extinction mm. record, but we weren't particularly any worse with our farming methods than other continents. We just didn't have cats and foxes. We that, that's absolutely correct. You know, we've, in, in everywhere else around the world, there was a high predator load. So the prey species, if you like, the small herbivores, uh, the ground-dwelling animals, had evolved in, in the, the presence of a high, high level of predation. So they either had very high breeding rates um, or other mechanisms to, to cope with and defend themselves. When uh, the cats and the foxes arrived here, they found all these beautiful betongs and potteroos and these lovely lunch-sized animals with no real protective mechanisms. So they were just wiped out incredibly fast. And the book does document the disappearance of some 40-odd species of mammals from, from around the Adelaide region alone, often in as little as the first 50 years after uh, um, the Governor Hindmarsh arrived here on the buffalo in 1836. So that's the depressive part. But just because they're gone doesn't mean they can't be brought back. We, we, we must not just, you know, wring our hands, sob and walk away. There's some things that we can do. And there's been some really strong work now done in the Mount Lofties 
where betongs have been introduced into private areas, potteroos, bandicoots are making a comeback in a lot of regions where people are working very hard to make sure the habitat is the best quality available, to keep down the number of cats. And the community is working now to not have free-roaming cats. I think we're, we're maturing now to consider, is that really, is, is putting Fluffy outside at night, is that really the best thing to do if you live in Adelaide or the Mount Lofty Ranges or South Australia? I'd like to ask you about that too, because obviously leaving your cat in is a great idea, mm. but we have a lot of rats and we have a lot of mice, and rats are a predator, and mm-hmm. they're baby birds, mm-hmm. they, can get to, they can take baby bandicoots, they can get to places cats can't get to. So if we keep our cats in, should we also then seriously consider putting back tiger quolls, eastern quolls, western quolls into the Mount Lofty Ranges? If, if short answer is yes. Uh, th- why not have that as an aspiration? You know, there are a lot of really interesting predators that could come back. They were never in the densities, so eastern native cats and, and quolls were probably occasional here. Well, it's probably more the dingo that was here as the top predator, but even things like platypus are, are predatory. You know, they're insect eaters, so why aren't they brought back? So aspirationally, that's a fantastic aim. Um, the idea about Rats, yes, they, they will eat eggs and, and young, particularly of some birds, but nowhere near the scale that, in fact, our, our domestic cats, our pet cats, take wildlife. And there's been some fabulous research. The Discovery Circle did a citizen science project um, where people volunteered their cats and they put a, a radio tracker on your cat and then saw what your cat did. And it was a complete surprise to many of their owners who thought that Tiddles was just hanging around in the backyard, you know, doing nothing. Turns out Tiddles was out to mischief every night, um, really wrecking havoc across the area. And that does make cat owners go, hmm, I wonder whether that's right. Maybe it's time to think about a cat run. It's not just about keeping them indoors, but cat runs are fabulous. Taking cats for walks has now become quite popular. There's a lot of ways we can change. It's about our behaviour with cats, not about their behaviour. Yeah, we had uh, Dr. Phil Roteman on the podcast. Oh, yes, about yes. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, we did a podcast on that, which was, uh, I think it is a turning point when you can actually show the owners actual, you know, figures as to mm. what your cat is doing when you're not watching it. Um, and I think, because no one would believe, like no one would say, they don't eat bearded dragons and this mm. and birds and things like that. Like it's just sometimes hard to believe until you've got you've got the hard evidence and often they will just also kill them too you know they just play with them phil was my phd student and he and i did a lot of the citizen science projects including the bring us your bugs that we we talked about and they're they're really powerful educative tools um i'm a really strong believer in experiential learning and that that kids learn by holding by smelling, sometimes by tasting. The last way they learn is by listening. So exposing to that opportunity to be involved, to hold, to get dirty, to catch things, sometimes to get a sting from an ant or a a bite from a small lizard. Well, it kind of goes with the territory, but that's part of the experience. Animals Anonymous are a great group that provide that experience and that connection because we're seeing more and more kids growing up without any connection to, to nature. They haven't climbed trees. They haven't collected a tadpole and seen it change into a frog. They haven't collected a caterpillar and seen it become a butterfly or a moth. But those are things that were part of our childhood that should be part of everybody's childhood. It should actually be a basic right, I think. And yet it's not happening. And we're seeing a move to the electronic era, which is fine, but a childhood spent indoors on the television is is pretty nerve-wracking to me and pretty scary. 
So that's why the experiential activities are so powerful. We need to strike that balance, don't we? We still want our technology and we should still progress, but we need to reconnect with nature. I was very fascinated at this particular event. Sustainable Population Australia are speaking, and I've never mm. seen, at all the events I've been doing for the last 11 years, occasionally I'll mention human overpopulation, um, and but, you, but you do it tentatively. <laughs> not too much in front of all the families, and here they are speaking. I mean, we've come mm. a long way. We have indeed, and you know, we, we do know that one of the great challenges that this planet faces is the fact that we're using more resources per year than the planet provides. In fact, we go through about one and a half to two planets worth of resources each year. So that means that the, the, the net resources are shrinking and we're seeing that with the disappearance of fish in the oceans for example and wild caught fish we talked about introducing individuals because the number of wild animals is declining um, in fact it's declined about 50 percent uh, since uh, 1970 that's n so the giant herds are now small herds um, and where there were a few hundred they're now uh, tens of many of the species so we have to be aware that that's as a result of us and our demands on the planet which is because we're the, one of those species that are growing in number us and our domesticated animals that's absolutely right in fact the our growth is as spectacularly scary as it is is nothing compared to the growth of goats um, cattle, sheep and other domestic animals in, in terms of their numbers and of course their resources are huge so we've, we're carrying with us a huge burden um, and we're, we're taking the resources from the planet, how can we put them back and that's why it's very important to be considering being sustainable and that's really what the World Environment Day and FAIR is all about, it's that holistic view about everything we do you're absolutely right, Adrian. It's not about saying no to things. It's about how do we do it sustainably. So, yes, let's have electronics, of course, but let's not become obsessed with them. You know, let's, we will be using plastics, but how can we recycle? How can we minimise their use? And how can we question some wasted plastics? Does your zucchini have to be wrapped in plastic? Mm -hmm. Really? Have to? You know, why are we doing these sorts of things? And we mustn't just accept those without question. And can I just talk a little bit about Clearland? Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to ask anything? I know it's government and it's a bit, you know, you've got to get a lot of permission oh, before you speak. But uh, Ask away. I'm not sure what I, <laughs> I... I start on the 2nd of July, so I think I'm pretty free to lend yeah, and then we'll see. But Congratulations yeah. on that to start Absolutely. with. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, it's it's uh, one of those places that is close to my, to my heart, uh, both as a place where I grew up there and I was always the spot that I wanted to take people. And it's, again, because it has experience. You know? It is not a zoo. So I don't... And it scares me that we, we think about animals in terms of, of being behind bars, though we don't do many bars in zoos these days, but in enclosures or um, other forms where there's a wall between you and them great thing about Cleveland is you can walk amongst the kangaroos, you can walk amongst the, the, the birds, there's a lot of the local birds come in, the aviaries are really large so yeah. the birds are largely free and the big swamp aviary of course is, is actually quite open and so just a lot of the regional birds come in. So you're getting a nature experience um, and, and not really a wildlife park experience and that's what I really love about Cleveland. And it's set in just remnant bush, mm. beautiful place. Yeah. And it's huge, like just going there for walks and, and walking around and think that, that's, you know, I go there obviously to see the nature, but just because some of the walking trails on that there are just amazing as well. Absolutely. It's, it's one and a quarter square kilometres of, of remnant wet 
forest and that makes it one of the largest natural forests left in the state wow. it's it's absolutely wonderful place to walk and then the views of course over oh. the city are, are superb so the park itself is about 35 hectares so you can get that close-up experience of the the breadth of wildlife that was and is still here in patches throughout our region and then enjoy the the wilder walks and uh, the paths and that spending time with nature mm. And we now know also that spending time in nature is incredibly important for our health. We get a direct benefit. There's the physical benefit of walking off a Sunday lunch and doing a bit of exercise. But even more important is the mental health. It lowers anxiety, decreases depression, increases your positive upward-outward look. You walk with someone you love, you have a chat, you talk, you get fresh air. You feel really good at the end of spending time in nature. And these health benefits have now been really well documented. It's one of the best things you can do to look after yourself is have a regular walk with nature. Yes, I would highly recommend it. It's just amazing, Mm. especially Mm. up at Cleveland. Absolutely. So come on up and see us and and enjoy the area. And then, of course, that opens up the hills as one of the great spots to go visit. The food is wonderful. The the pubs in all little villages are outstanding. Um, There's a lot of great natural produce up there um, so there's there's so much to do so it's uh makes south australia again one of those great places and our point of difference is our environment you know uh the the mount lofty ranges are a biodiversity hotspot and there's only 15 biodiversity hotspots in australia mount lofty ranges is one which has a very large array of wildlife in terms of species they are under significant threat from clearance and uh, from population growth and settlements and so forth but there's lots to see and do, and there's lots of wildlife here. So let's look after it and enjoy it. Professor Chris Daniels, thanks so much for coming on, mate. You're the right man for the job. I look forward to speaking to you again and seeing what you, what you get up to there at Cleland. And It'll be great to follow the path, yeah, that you go down. And Thank you very much. I'd love to come back. You guys keep up the fabulous work here. Uh, you're engaging and you're positive and you, you have a, a great audience that are, are listening to your wise words. So keep it Thank up. You. Wise words. Thank you. <laughs> Get that in writing. Yeah. Thanks again, Thank mate. You very My much. pleasure. And thanks for listening.